Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the TF Podcast, where we talk about technology finance uh, and usually revolve that around Bitcoin, blockchain, and cryptocurrency. Uh, I am here with Chrissy Lee Minahan. Uh, we've had her on the show uh, many times, and she's been speaking at our conferences um, throughout different cities, actually. And uh, she's one of the top folks in the world when it comes to uh, cryptocurrency mining, uh, as well as other things, and has been in the space for a really long time. So uh, with that, Christy, I'd love if you could introduce yourself really fast to everybody. Uh, yeah, I'm just a, a technology consultant specializing in mining and blockchain technologies. And I've been working in this space um, professionally since 2010, uh, dabbling since 2009. And very passionate about proof of work and consensus algorithms in general. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's kind of go right into there. So, you know, 2009 proof of work is, is the main thing there uh, during that time. And uh, you've been very passionate about that for, you know, basically since then, obviously. Um, what are your thoughts overall on um, proof of work versus proof of stake? I know I've asked you this before, but I, I just always love hearing you talk about it. <laughs> um, there, there are different consensus uh, mechanisms trying to solve different problems. So, in a proof of work environment, your, um, you know, your your stake. Let me rephrase. It's still staking. In proof of work, your stake in the network is actually tied up in your capex and your opex investment. So, you've got your hardware that you've, you know, purchased and that you staked to say, hey, I have skin in the game. I have skin in the network. And then you also have ongoing OPEX costs, electricity, maintenance, um, you know, development costs where applicable, which is part of your ongoing stake to contributing to uh, crypto. And in, you know, as part of your reward for having skin in the, in the network and being a good citizen, you get a percent of the mining rewards. In a proof of stake environment, it is the same sort of idea, except now your stake, um, your skin in the game is digital. So you have, you know, you've, you've tied up assets, you've tied up investment, you've tied up um, in the case, in the context of Ethereum, you've tied up a percent of your Ethereum and you're not allowed to touch it. And you have to be a good steward and you have ongoing OPEX costs in the form of maintaining your uh, validate validators or staking nodes or whatever terminology on your chosen proof of stake network they use. Um, so it's, they're very similar in a lot of ways. It's just that the asset that becomes your skin in, uh, skin in the game is either physical or digital. Um, and physical and digital have different threat, uh, vectors associated with it. So in a proof of work network, you know, if, if you get, uh, attacked over the network, um, people can't really take away your physical equipment. You know, you can shut down the machines, you can take them offline, you can reflash them, and you still can recoup some of your investment from those assets, especially if they are um, GPUs or if they're CPUs or if they're FPGAs. Whereas in, a, you know, in a proof of stake network, it may be harder to attack someone. Um, there may not be a greater attack surface, but once you have gone after someone, um, you know, you've socially engineered someone, or you've got an access to someone's keys, uh, that's it. It's game over. So proof of stake is, uh, you know, technically it's um, a little easier to attack and exploit someone. Doesn't mm -hmm. mean that either of these consensus algorithms are any more secure or less secure than the other. They're just different things um, trying to solve different problems. Right. Uh, and there's this perception that a proof of stake um, method for mining 
uh, is call it better for the environment or, you know, reduces less energy or uses less energy, correct? Yes, there is that perception. And a lot, a lot of times it's flawed. Right. Um, in a proof of stake, you know, environment, there is still infrastructure running somewhere. Um, it's, it still exists. There are still data centers. There's still redundancy. There's still networking that has to be applied. It's on a smaller scale, sure, but there's a cost associated with that. Again, it's that physical versus digital. In a proof of work environment, it is not like, um, you know, the infrastructure is magically, uh, is magically, uh, you know, it's magically new. That energy already existed. Those utility companies already existed. That amount of electricity already existed. No one was utilizing it before. And in a way, um, what proof of work has allowed is a new, it's allowed more consumption um, to take place of these utilities that would otherwise, you know, either the, the energy would be burned off and put into the ground and create more waste, or it just would be, you know, not sold. Um, the other thing that's important to think about is that Bitcoin is inherently renewable. Uh, miners have gone to great lengths to pursue renewable um, energy sources and to think about how to build clean, green um, infrastructure. So you have containers, you have companies solely dedicated to consuming natural gas productions, um, natural gas pipelines, and using that, um, using the excess to mine Bitcoin. You have uh, miners trying to heat their homes with ASIC devices. Um, you have all sorts of miners that are pursuing hydro power and solar power and wind power. Um, and yes, some of them are using it in conjunction with um, non-renewable energy, but they're still you know, uh, more green than our traditional infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And then you also have to compare, many people make this argument and they just point at it and go, well, look at all that energy waste, instead of thinking about, hang on, what was Bitcoin meant to replace? It was meant to replace a world banking ecosystem. And Bitcoin today still consumes less globally than the US banking system consumes. When you add up all of the ATMs, all of the infrastructure, all of the offices, all of the humans, all of the waste there, all of the redundancy, all of the data centers, it just adds up. And so sure. I don't think anyone's actually done a very fair comparison of, hang on, here is a banking system versus here is Bitcoin. That is the fair comparison to make. You yeah. can't just point at Bitcoin and say, hey, it consumes a lot of energy when it's specifically designed to replace something that already exists. Sure. Um, and I'd love yes, to see, has, anybody, has anybody done that? Has no, anybody, no one's really done it. Yeah, no one's done it. Um, and part of this is because you notice that there's not a lot of good research in the cryptocurrency space because too often people are very religious. So you rarely find someone who can have a neutral discussion on proof of work and proof of stake. Mm -hmm. It is just they are very religious about one or the other. Um, and if you talk about one or the other, even, you know, even if you don't have uh, religious, even if you're not religious to one side, um, people will label, label you as such. And so you get a lot of people who talk about the economics of proof of work and the uh, psychology behind it getting attacked by proof of stake maximalists and vice versa. Um, cryptocurrency is a very, very political, highly religious, highly passionate ecosystem. Um, and this, this uh, I guess, influences a lot of the research that exists. Yeah, it's it's um, 
Yeah, it's definitely interesting when you have kind of the human nature element or the altruistic points of view that then cloud like business decisions or uh, I guess kind of like an economic point of view. Um, so the reason I wanted to start the conversation here um, is, you know, kind of going into the, we're, we're going into the having right now, um, I don't know, two weeks away or about. And so uh, mining rewards are going to um, basically get cut in half, right? And it's going to be more difficult essentially to, to mine. Um, what does that do to overall energy consumption production? Is it, so now does it become, you know, quote unquote, more a problem or is it more going back to, I guess, what you've been talking about? So it's more of a perceived problem, but not necessarily more of a problem because of the, the items that you articulated already, right? It doesn't really affect energy consumption. It's more that doesn't affect participants in the ecosystem. Um, most of the large farms have already upgraded their equipment. So it's not like they're just going to suddenly drop out. Um, there is this, you know, this pervasive myth that miners switch their machines on and off, uh, according to profitability. I, it's slowly being disproven by others, um, this year, but it's complete garbage. Mm -hmm. Most miners you talk to will just huddle through, you know, a crypto winter. They have minimum consumption requirements to meet. So it means their utility provider doesn't just allow them to switch on and off devices. Um, for a lot of the smaller miners, they've started hosting with other uh, companies. And so they don't just suddenly switch on and off their equipment according to profitability because they also have requirements to make to the hosting provider. So they simply, you know, work through. Um, the ones that are sitting on S9s, um, T2Ts, uh, A10s, you know, a lot of the older, uh, sorry, not A10s, um, um, Avalon's uh, 8800 series, the ones that are on the older generation equipment, they have either already made plans to upgrade after the halving, or they are simply going to hash out um, you know, their days with that equipment, they may move it to a lower cost region and just let it naturally, you know, phase out there, or they may try to recycle it. Um, in a lot of cases, uh, people are looking for alternatives to recycling because the cost of recycling is higher than what the device is actually worth. Um, oh, you see, why yeah, is that it, just, just breaking it apart or what, what makes so that? So there's, there's not many valuable components on, um, on a traditional ASIC PCB. The silicon, the ASIC chips itself are useless. Um, we have seen some creative providers um, reusing, reusing S9 and Litecoin machine cases. So the housing of an ASIC, we've seen fans being reused for other applications. Um, and so there's a healthy secondhand market for fans and cases, but this is also very niche. So you can't expect to flood, you know, two, three million components through it. You'll only flood about a hundred thousand K units max. So there is a niche there, but in general on an ASIC, there's very little parts that, um, you know, are worth, worth, um, retrieving. In a traditional motherboard, you usually have gold plated components. You have some other precious metals. Um, and materials that you might want to salvage and turn into something else. Um, in ASICs, you don't really have a lot of that. A majority of the, you know, the component cost is that silicon chip, which is useless. Um, and so many miners are just thinking, well, I can either dump it in a landfill or I can send it to a place, I, I can put it on a gas pipeline 
and you know basically have free electricity or I can send it to some really shady region in Uzbekistan or a Russian bloc country and just let it hash out its days and die there and you know if it grows legs and walks away uh, one night that's fine free recycling um, so there's there's really you know not a sense of urgency of protecting these devices um, yeah. And so what's probably going to happen after the halving, there will be a very slow phase of hash rate drop. And this is natural. This happens, you know, whenever there is a big price event, but mostly it'll be miners taking some of their older equipment offline and then spinning up newer equipment. Um, power consumption will remain relatively the same or it will increase and, you know, hash rate will steadily increase again. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for, for that, like that, that breakdown. Uh, so what do you think, uh, things like the having mean, uh, from a business context and more from like the enterprise side. So you, you, you said you yourself have been through, um, basically every having and, um, how have you seen things evolve since then? So my assumption would be, the hype around what's happening in a couple of weeks is much higher than it was at the previous having. Yes, a little bit. So your first halving, um, there were very few, I would say industrial players, but it did affect purchasing decisions. So a lot of the cloud mining companies and a lot of the real estate investors were thinking, Hey, you know, if after, after the halving, our rewards increase, how many machines should we purchase? What's going to be the kind of demand? There was a bit of planning there, but it was on a much smaller scale. Um, you know, it was only spread about, I would say, 10 to 15 different entities. The, the second halving, um, your surface increased greatly. You had about 100 to 150 entities starting to talk about, you know, what do we do? What do we do if rewards decrease? What if the hash rate drops, et cetera? Um, with this halving, because you've got so many new participants that came in during the 2017 and 2018 crypto boom, mm -hmm. because you have it blasted over every single news outlet and everyone's talking about it on podcasts, it's in everyone's minds, everyone wants to have an opinion on it. So it's well um, collateral collateralized in media and there's a lot more drama than there necessarily needs to be. Um, any smart miner, uh, you know, that's been in the space, knows that there's scheduled halvings, they always plan for it. And it's simply treated as a adjustment to inflation. Yeah. And you know, rewards, rewards will decrease, but that, that doesn't mean the price of Bitcoin will stay the same. Usually yeah. it will go up. Um, it might take a very small hit if our markets keep, our traditional markets keep going the way they're going. But you know, it always adjusts in the end. Um, Bitcoin is an incredibly efficient market as it stands. Sure. Um, so not much is going to change. It's, it is heavily overblown. Um, but you know, it's, uh, I think the next halving, um, is going to be just, just as bad. So, yeah. Um, and it's funny how like they, you know, you're talking about a, lot, a little bit about this when we first started, like the religion of it, right. Or, or mm -hmm. the, um, you know, kind of like the altruistic or the, the views that people have. So is that, is that kind of what you think is, is it's more of the, that culture is, is why the, the having is being overblown. Is there business opportunities that, that people are taking or is it more just the marketability in your perspective? I'm just curious from the minor I, I think perspective. It's just, it's just the marketability. It's just yeah. that it's an easy news article to talk about. Um, it is 
it is a subject that everyone can have an opinion on from miners to economists to just outside investors it's you know it's a very easy talking point and um you have you have newcomers you have old timers everyone can give a point of view right so um i know we don't normally talk about price but you know you hear people ask all the time like is the having price is the bitcoin price into the having what's what are your thoughts on that on even that statement to begin with it's it's incredibly stupid it's like saying hey um you know a recession is priced into our stock market markets are driven by human psychology they're not driven by rational parameters there is a reason why you know economists just have theories and they have and it's essentially educated guesses talk to anyone in the finance space and they will tell you that it's essentially everyone is just making educated guesses mm-hmm. um our our traditional markets today are highly uncorrelated with, with what is happening in in you know in reality we had the massive drop due to the coronavirus um, and a lot of panic selling there in both our traditional markets as well as crypto markets. And now we have insane amounts of, um, you know, money printing going on and the markets are barely phased. We have the, the Fed dumping tons of cash into the system and that should normally panic investors if they're smart, but, you know, it's not doing anything to the markets. It's actually helping them. Mm-hmm. Um this is because markets are not rational. They're driven by human psychology. It's, it's entirely psychology based. And so, you know, a news report could come out from multiple entities tomorrow all stating that Bitcoin is highly, you know, highly uh, insecure and it might not have no basis um, or no ground in reality, yet people will eat that up and use that to make purchasing decisions and they will panic sell their bitcoin and bitcoin price will crash similarly you know you could have a giant exchange hack right after the halving and that might crash the price of bitcoin um there's there's no one factor you can point to that you know is is attributed to a um you know an overall price decrease yeah i think what what has always happened in all the past halvings is that there has been a price increase three to six months later. And it's been a substantial one. It's been a new, um, not always a new all time high, but it's, you know, it's been getting there. And so that's what I think we'll see happen. You know, the halving will hit miners will, um, mining hardware will drop off the network. Slowly the price of Bitcoin will start to rise as new investors become bullish. People accumulate more miners accumulate more. The price will naturally gravitate um, upwards. And it's also tied nicely into the seasonal trends. So we always see a seasonal increase around about October, November, December. Sometimes it's out a couple of months. It extends into, you know, January and February, but we always see that seasonal trend. So that is definitely going to happen. Yeah. So, you know, switching topics a little bit, uh, and you brought it up a little bit here with, you know, with the price of Bitcoin going down and the markets in general as a result of COVID. Um, what about mining? How, how has mining been affected by COVID-19? Uh, just the industry as a whole um, have, you know, those that are running the, the operations, are there, you know, are, are they still working? Is it the machines just running in the background still? What are, what have you what are your thoughts and what do you know about your you know your contacts in China and vice versa on how mm-hmm. that sort of has been happening? So what has been really interesting is that uh, most of the U.S. miners um, heavily dispute this. Um, so in China, most of the operations are entirely remote. 
Yes, you need someone on site to troubleshoot machines, you know, uh, fix a dead hashboard. But when it comes to overall overseeing operations and management, you can do this remotely. Right. And so, COVID and you're obviously been... qualified to talk about China because you lived there for many years working yes. in my in mining facilities. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of people just frankly don't don't think about you know how efficient it is to run a network at scale um, in China like that. Now that isn't to say that COVID didn't affect operations. It did. So Bitcoin Bitcoin farms. Um, you know, a lot of workers had to stay home. So there are not people there to triage hashboards. So if you have a dead machine, it stays dead for the period of quarantine. Um, it affected components quite heavily, and we'll like, dive into that in a sec. Okay. Um, so components being things like transistors, capacitors, uh, fans, your whole supply chain was constrained, which affected the availability of spare parts as well as the availability for of new machines. Um, manufacturers in China had to suspend operations. So MicroBT could no longer fulfill shipments um, and could no longer distribute, machi distribute machines. Bitmain had this issue, Canon had this issue. Everyone sort of stepped down their production. Um, there was, uh, you know, there was an overall pressure that you're seeing from traditional quarantine. Um, that didn't mean that our hash rate decreased in Bitcoin. Uh, quite the contrary, it remained steady aside from some small fluctuations. Again, you know, data centers, if they had issues, that was that. Was that. Um, utility companies, if there was an issue with the power, no one could come out to troubleshoot. As quarantine started to relax, some of these things opened. So as long as, you know, social distancing was enforced, no one was on the premises, power companies could come out and triage um, some, some of the equipment. I had uh, one farm in particular that had a transformer blow up at the worst possible time. Mm. It was a week into quarantine uh, oh. over there. And so they had to wait, uh, I think it was two and a half weeks to get someone out to triage and fix the situation. Um, China has started to resume life a little bit. Um, there are, what's probably going to happen is there's going to be pockets of Corona that resurface. And this is going to, you know, the whole quarantine will have to be um, repeated. And this is going to continue on and on, not just in China, but in most countries until we have a vaccine in place. That's just, just a given with how this virus works. Mm -hmm. um, now in the US, people have panicked quite heavily. Um, all operations have been suspended. Most of the data centers only need one or two um, data center techs on, on site at any one time to manage you know, a good 30 megawatt facility if you're efficient. So again, you know, they're pretty good as long as they're taking in to affect social distancing, making sure that you know, they're quarantining well, got their protective gear. Um, the Bitcoin market was surprisingly resilient. The altcoin market, not so much. So altcoin, F, um, altcoin ASICs and altcoin FPGAs got hit a lot harder. Um, many companies just up and stopped working. So you had in the altcoin space, you know, prominent, um, some of the prominent uh, providers of hashing equipment um, for ASICs just didn't do deliveries, didn't do any sort of replying to emails, replying to WeChat messages, they had just shut up shop. So that is a recurring theme. And uh, so what's driving that theme? Is it because they don't have- Quarantine. It, it's Sure, it's but like, so I, no, I get that. But like, why, why would they be more, why would the altcoin manufacturer or hardware manufacturers be more affected than a Bitcoin hardware manufacturer? Partly because um, they're cushioned against things. 
um, in the Bitcoin space. They have much larger teams to work with. Yeah. And um, it's just naturally more resilient. Bitcoin had just had its new upgraded cycle. Whereas um, in, uh, in the uh, altcoin space, you know, they were just getting into their equipment manufacturing cycle. Got it. So it has everything to do with sort of the supply and distribution of the coins and the life cycle they were in. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we're, you were telling me a little bit ago uh, before we got on this call, uh, just because we we're talking mining here and, and uh, hardware that uh, a mining operator, sorry, a, a mining manufacturer, a hardware manufacturer has a kill switch and uh, basically executed or used that. Is that true? Or let's talk more about that. I, I, I want to. Um, so a recent thing in the ecosystem that everyone's buzzing about is there is a um, firmware manufacturer. So firmware. to yeah, to catch everyone up to speed, um, you have in, in your mining stack, you have hardware, um, firmware, and then you have uh, software. And so firmware is sort of the link between, it, you know, getting data from the pool, to, uh, which tells the chips what to do in layman's terms. Yeah, it the, the software like, for the hardware. Is yes, that right? Yeah. Correct. Um, and it is there's a thriving ecosystem of alternative firmware providers to uh, Canon, Bitmain, and whatever ships by default on the device. Um, what specifically happened was, uh, from what I can gather, and again, this is all secondhand information, um, an individual uh, that was using this firmware was going to appear on a podcast. Um, the firmware maker did not like this and said, hey, we're going to give you um, you know, the option to either step down from the podcast and we'll give you a discount on your fees. Or if you go on this podcast, we're going to have to terminate service to you. And what they actually did was they make it so that they will stop collecting fees from the devices running this firmware. So how firmware developers get, um, you know, paid or get monetized is they take a percent of everything mined. Yeah. Very accepted practice. If they stop collecting dev fees, then the device is going to um, stop uh, stop working. So they said, hey, if you go on this podcast, we're going to stop collecting fees. The firmware will no longer work. Um, so you have to make a decision. This is bringing up a lot of questions in the mining community about, you know, do, do firmware developers have a right to play God? Do they have a right to set standards? Do they have a right to um, discriminate against who uses their software? Um, do people have a right to deny service based upon, you know, what podcast someone goes on? Now, yes, that does happen in traditional markets. Mm -hmm. um, at, at any time, you know, Xilinx is allowed, um, not Xilinx, sorry, at any time, Microsoft can deny you service. Um, at any time, you know, a company can say, hey, I'm going to terminate usage of uh, this application. YouTube, you know, suspends your, suspends your account if you violate their terms of service. Okay, that exists. But mining, what attracted people to mining in the original instance is that human element was removed. Now we're bringing back that human element into Bitcoin and into Bitcoin mining and saying humans have the right to police each other. It's no longer permissionless. It's starting to become slowly centralized. Um, and that is concerning to a lot of people. It's concerning to a lot of miners. So it's bringing up some interesting questions in the space um, about you know, what, what should happen with mining firmware and mining hardware in general. And does Bitcoin remain a permissionless system? And how does it remain a permissionless system? 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, that's super fascinating. And it's, it's, I think it goes back to now the business practice versus like the, um, religion versus like the, what's the right thing to do. Um, you know, and how people are, are, are thinking through that. You know, you, I remember you've told me that you spent quite a bit of time um, in uh, different countries, you know, working um, on Bitcoin mining and so forth. Um, I'll let you say the ones if you want to, but I was curious about something that's kind of like sidestepping here. And that's, uh, so North Korea, right? I was actually, I just had um, uh, Alex Gladstein on the podcast and we were talking about that, but I'm curious about your point of view because North Korea has like a ton of um, Bitcoin, right? And so are they mining Bitcoin? Do you know, do you know much about that or kind of like how, how some of these authority, okay. Not something I, I can more, comment on. Yeah, I was curious if you knew kind of like about how like the authoritative, maybe not North Korea, but just like authoritative governments in general, like how they might be thinking about um, like Bitcoin or cryptocurrency from like mining perspectives. Well, we or... can talk a little bit about China. I mean, yeah. China's China's plan ultimately is they want to control uh, Bitcoin and they want to ensure that they remain a majority superpower. So they're being very supportive of mining. Um, in fact, today the press release came out from the Yan province, um, which I might be bastardizing that. Sorry, Chinese native speakers. Um, accents are not an Australian's forte. Um, but uh, they are... Um, supporting the build out of a local blockchain technology park used for cryptocurrency mining. So this is the first sort of public in your face um, local government support of crypto mining. So the Chinese government understands that it's going to be a thing. They know it happens. This is sort of their way of saying, hey, we want to ensure it's all taking place. Um, yeah. what, are, what are their alternatives? People flee, you know, flee the country with their, sorry, people move their machines um, overseas and you know china loses a grip on the currency so it's very much become you know and um we should ensure that we have a firm grasp on it um and a firm control on it um to most governments right now it is very much a nuisance it's still very low in market cap it is not there are a lot of people that um think their specific shitcoin is going to get government attention when it has a 20 million market cap this is nothing to a government they yeah. don't care. Just pay your taxes. That's all the government cares about. Ultimately, pay your taxes. If you pay your taxes, they couldn't care less what you do. As long as you're not, you know, killing someone or endangering someone, just pay your taxes. You'll be fine. Um, but China is starting to see that the U.S. is very much uh, behind when it comes to cryptocurrency regulation. Very much up behind when it comes to blockchain adoption. And so, in their quest to have technical superiority, they're making. You know, they're making a, a leap at it. And I think it's the right move. Yeah. Um, will the outcome be, you know, what I would like? No, but, you know, at least at least um, it's hitting the news. People, more and more people are getting engaged and uh, talking about blockchain. And, yeah. you know, it's hitting mainstream media. So can we can we dive into that a little bit more? Uh, the blockchain versus Bitcoin uh, aspect in relation to China? Right. So, um, yeah, there is that recent news, for instance, that China is starting to test or showcase or whatever the digital um, uh, R&B and uh, like they're going to test it with uh, 
Starbucks and, and McDonald's and so forth. So there's that side of it. I, I do want to talk about that. But you said something that I thought was fascinating um, that I don't think a lot of people realize, and that's that China wants to have a major stake uh, of Bitcoin or in the Bitcoin ecosystem. So um, can we, I'd love to just talk a little bit more about that. Like, why, why, why do why? they want that? Is it is it from the point of view of Bitcoin being a um, uh, a backed uh, global backed currency? Is it just that hey, like they see the potential? Um, is it like the ability to leapfrog all of the above? You know, what 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 are your thoughts there? Um, I don't think it's it's any of those. It's simply that. China, China isn't really using blockchain. They're using, you know, a, a, a ledger, a very centralized controlled le ledger and labeling it blockchain. It, and they're just, sure. and they're just doing this, um, you know, they're doing this because it makes sense for them technically. Uh, no, it, and, and it sorry, I, and I mean more on the, so I want to talk about the blockchain side, but I mean more on the Bitcoin side. So you're saying from the Bitcoin side, it makes sense for them? No, they, they don't uh, differentiate between blockchain and Bitcoin in that way. So the central government is blockchain pro, uh, yep. anti-Bitcoin. The local government okay. is we, we embrace Bitcoin because it consumes utilities and it makes our province um, be more profitable. You know, it has better quality of life, creates more jobs, yada, yada, yada. Got it. So it has, ha it has everything to do with when, when talking about China, you have to think in central and local okay. uh, uh, variants. And so their, their blockchain projects have nothing to do with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is, Bitcoin is um, a really basic rudimentary form of money. Um, potentially that's all money has to be. But what China is developing on the blockchain side is really a network that can help um, bleed over into their stocks and in right, investments right. in their markets. It can help um, uh, help make the banking system more efficient it's backed by yuan and it nicely slots into the existing wechat and mobile infrastructure that china right. already has yeah with their with their um their native digital currency essentially that they're building out right? correct correct uh and what's interesting too is that you know it, it i was talking about this with someone else but it makes a lot of sense for like you're saying it makes a lot of sense for china like why would why wouldn't they want to do that uh, in the sense of being more efficient and, you know, being able to send money quicker and also the traceability and the track tracking, you know, of um, essentially currency and transactions. Um, you know, be, I know you spent a lot of time there. Um, do you think, is it something that's going to be adopted with ease by the people? Is it for, is it, does it have to be because that's just the way it is there? Um, is, is it'll be adopted with ease yeah the, the people will love it um i mean wechat pay took off quite fast we you cannot use you can use cash for some things in china but literally everything is done through wechat pay mm -hmm. beggars taxis uh food it doesn't matter where you are in china as long as you have a mobile phone and you can scan a qr code you're going to be able to um navigate around and pay for things and so the people, if the product is done right and it sort of sits in the back like it, like blockchain should naturally, sure, the people will see no difference between um, between using this and uh, using WeChat Pay. In fact, it might just be WeChat Pay altogether from the user uh, user perspective. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, what what are some uh, interesting things that you're starting to see? You know, I know you always have your your ear to the ground with what's happening. Um, you know, just 
really just with everything for the most part, but um, it's specifically with mining or even crypto, what, what are you kind of excited for that's coming up or what are you paying attention to? Uh, I'm paying attention to the, definitely paying attention to the firmware space, um, uh, paying attention to the, the mining hardware fight. There is an ongoing perpetual fight between um, Bitmain, MicroBT, Canon, Ebang, and the new and up and coming providers, uh, Layer One and uh, Carbon, uh, SBI Carbon. So paying attention to all these providers that are all, you know, beating their chest and saying they're the best. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, paying attention to um, the new IPO filings. So many people might be aware that Ebang, which um, they might get upset if I say this, but they are, let me figure out a nicer way to say it. They're, they are a, they're not the first choice of mining equipment provider uh, within China. So they're very niche. Um, they uh, recently decided to file for an IPO for $100 million in the US. They would join the ranks of Bitmain and Canon in IPO filings. Um, so far, only Canon has successfully gone through with an IPO. And it has been disastrous to say the least. Mm-hmm. So you've got, you know, you've got these big players that are all seeing, you know, going public in the US as a liquidity event. And people are getting excited about that. Um, because so many of these IPOs have been found to be very scammy isn't the right word, but it may be the appropriate one. Um, questionable. Uh, you know, people have there may be tighter regulations around doing a crypto IPO in the future. Um, the, the government is starting to become smarter um, about you know, these IPOs. They're starting to dig into some of these questionable numbers and these questionable connections. Um, so paying attention to that, paying attention to the altcoin space, specifically you know, the rapid transition from GPU to FPGA to ASIC now, and a lot of the altcoins, Handshake's a great example. Um, paying attention to the FPGA space and new new entrants coming in, FPGA hardware, um, you know, relatively disappeared uh, in the early Bitcoin days. It was sort of a thing in 2010 and 2011, and then it was replaced by ASICs. FPGAs have started to make a comeback, and we have some um, you know some public players like Xilinx and like Avnet that are getting into the space and saying, hey hey, how can we you know support this um, this generation of customers that are buying our hardware. So some interesting stuff is going on there. And definitely, you know, interested in the transition from proof of work to proof of stake as it pertains to Ethereum. Um, it will be interesting to see how they handle that one. Is So, you know, that's definitely been something that's been talked about for a long time. Um, is, that, is that gonna, is it going to happen? Is it possible? Like, is it, how, oh, how of far? Of course it's going to happen. But I, always... I'm sorry, I guess, sorry. I should, I should rephrase that. Sure, it will happen, but is it likely that it happens at the timeline um, that people want it to happen in? Well, everyone has, that's a bit of an open-ended question, right? Because everyone has their own timeline. You know, a bunch of people want it to happen tomorrow. Um, a bunch of people say it will, full proof of stake will only happen in five years. A bunch of people say it will only happen, you know, we might get the first phase this year, which allows staking, but it hasn't decoupled entirely from proof of work. So yeah, it's very much something that is up in the air. And the reality is no one knows. It will be done when it's done. Um, 
it doesn't mean that it's it's a rudimentary technology or that you know uh, ethereum has you know ethereum is any weaker just because it hasn't rolled over to proof of stake yet it's just cutting edge technology takes time it takes a lot of time yeah yeah so. sure totally uh, well, Christy, you know, I, I really appreciate you coming on again. I'd love to, I guess, leave you with the last word or uh, if there is a question that you want people to think through as they go about their day uh, while they're listening to this or something you want to leave them to kind of contemplate. Oh, geez. Uh, you know, you know, this is always coming. Yeah, but I like half the time, I don't even have something that I'm contemplating. Jeez. Um, <laughs> uh if let me see let me see what would the community oh how is the how is the recent oil crash going to affect bitcoin and bitcoin mining will it will we see new use cases for oil potentially hmm. i like that i like that well will it no we'll, we'll have to find out later i guess fuck if i know i'm <laughs> i'm not an expert in oil <laughs> no that's crazy awesome well hey thank you chrissy i really appreciate the time um what are the best ways that people can get in contact with you or follow you? Uh, through Twitter is the preferred method. So if you want to reach out to me, um, hit me up on Twitter at, um, at ogodagirl or feel free to email me at ogodagirl at gmail.com. Excellent. Awesome. Thanks so much. Uh, everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of the TF Podcast. Uh, please make sure that you are subscribed uh, wherever you are listening to this right now, whether that be YouTube or uh, Apple or Spotify for the podcast. Um, if you like this, please uh, fill in those stars and, and let us know. And uh, please make sure that you're following us on Twitter. Um, at, I'm at JG Product and at TF Blockchain. Uh, thank you so much, and we'll see you soon.